I've been blessed to be a director of Christian education for 20 years. And one of the things that I learned right away um, when, when I got to start uh, talking with youth and parents is that sometimes this uh, conversation of sexuality um, is a taboo subject for people in churches. And I, I didn't understand that exactly because it was never a taboo subject for me in my house growing up. My parents were open with us as we uh, grew up, um, shared with us things, talked about things with us, um, gave us uh, expectations that we would live up to in, in uh, my parents' hopes of, of how we would live. Right, Andy? My brother just popped in, so I had to point him out. Um, and so this is never a taboo subject as we lived growing up in our house, um, but yet when I got into church, I'm like, nobody wants to talk about this, and everybody's freaked out to talk about this. So um, that just made me want to talk about it even more. And so as we do that, uh, I found that sometimes, believe it or not, when I talk with a group of parents, they get more giggly and embarrassed about talking about sexuality than the youth do, which is really funny. Um, so I sometimes push the parents even more. And I'm like, all right, we're going to make you real uncomfortable. Um, but I think as, a, as Christians, it's great to know, and I'll start off with this to say, um, we know that this is a gift that God has given us. And so I think it's, this is the perfect place to talk about it. And so... Um, in our society, I think we hear so many different con uh, confrontational things coming at us in terms of what's okay and what's not okay, and uh, uh, bring that today to our conversation, if you will. Um, I'll talk as long as you let me talk, but I will also let you interrupt me as often as you want to interrupt me, and your questions, your concerns, and the road that you might want to take us down as we explore this uh, conversation and topic today um, is fine by me. Um, and so whether it's questions about stuff or concerns about stuff or things that you're wrestling with or that we need to wrestle with, um, totally cool, totally cool. So let's do this one since this is our conversation for today. Um, who taught you the most about sexuality? Where did you hear the most about it? I know it could be parents. Like I, I probably would say parents, but at the same time, I know there's a lot of things that I learned from my peers, some from, from some of my friends who had older brothers and sisters, Right. Um, it seems like the, the, the younger siblings in the classes always knew the things that their older siblings shouldn't have been telling them about, but they did. Maybe that's you. Um, I grew up in an era where our number one category right now, the internet, was not existent. All right? I didn't get to play on the internet until college, and then it was just something you typed with. There was no pictures involved, right? Chat rooms and things, yet yeah, you could still learn. Um, <laughs> all the, yeah. Yeah, right. And so, um, all right, friends and internet are by far the biggest. TV, movie, music is a, and uh, parents are close there with 16.9% as a second. All right. Older siblings. Man, see, that was, that was the place to learn things when I was growing up. Older siblings, that's only 1.5%. Um, books, magazines. And then uh, coming in there, not quite last, 7.7% pastors, teachers, DCEs, youth leaders. All right, cool. That gives us something to go from in terms of how we talk and, and where, we, where we learn. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think that this topic for today is by mistake. Um, the, some of the gathering planners said, hey, this is an area where we want somebody to talk. And so they actually asked me, they said, we, Jeremy, we know we've talked about sexuality with your kids before and your parents at your church. But uh, what if you frame that in this digital age aspect? 
And uh, going by our poll here to say 26.2% of you are learning the most about sexuality from an online source of some kind. All right, surprising to you? Not surprising to you? Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily surprising to me, but at the same time, we kind of go, all right, how does that play into what we're going to talk about? So let's do a little bit, uh, some definition work here. Um, so digital age, digital age. I, I felt pretty cool about this because it says that uh, uh, 1970s would have been like the beginning of the digital age. All right, so that, that, was, that was like, all right, hey, maybe I'm not that old. Um, but 1970s, with the introduction of the first personal computer, um, kind of started the digital age. But I think, you know, really, as we look at uh, Cambridge Dictionary, um, present time when information is in digital form, especially as compared to when computers were in existence. So we, we understand that. It makes sense. All right. You know what digital is. You live with digital. It's not something new to you. Um, but what is interesting is we're kind of going through this phase of, of where we're at in the digital age. So there, some of the research that I've uh, done for, for our conversation today says that we're kind of in the middle aspect of the digital age. There was like a pre-digital, and then there's going to be a post-digital. And so we're kind of in this mid-digital age where everybody's trying to do things with digital formatting. Everybody's trying to use digital aspects for stuff. Um, but we ha it hasn't become the complete norm yet for everything. Um, for example, if you were part of a, a youth gathering in the past, um, you would have known that we have moved from guidebooks just printed for people to now guidebooks that are on an app on your phone because we're trying to move to an age where they can be access accessible to anybody anytime. Um, but we still clung on to a printed guidebook, right? There's still a printed guidebook in your backpack. Once we finally get to post-digital, whether we want to be or not, there won't be a printed guidebook at a National Youth Gathering backpack. You just won't have that. And so some of us grieve that. I know I see some heads in the room, they're like, oh, really? But that's the kind of the technology aspect of it is, is like, hey, we're moving from a pre to a post-digital age where the digital aspect will just be something that exists and you won't even think about it unless it's not there for you. For example, there was about a 20-year period when electricity was introduced before electricity became utilized in more ways like we understand it today. There was a pre-electricity age, then there was like a post-electricity age in where, like at the beginning, it was like, hey, all right, we have electricity, so we can power all these things that we, used, that we did without electricity, and so they just, they just added electricity to what they're already doing. And then it became over about a 20-year period where it's like, all right, now everything is run with electricity and everything has been created to use electricity. And so you don't think about electricity until it's not there when your power goes out. And you're like, wait, what do I do? Or like our family who went camping in Yellowstone and there's no service for your cell phone and the power is coming from the jack in the car when you're driving around to all the sites during the day and everybody's got everything plugged in at once, right? You don't think about electricity unless it's not there. And when we get to this post-digital age, you won't think about digital unless it's not there because everything's going to be run on it, right? Does that make sense? Kind of with me on that? All right, so some thoughts on that as we think about um, digital age and how that plays out um, would look like this. So Tom Goodwin, who's an executive for Zenith, um, says, places of public, a physical public congregation will continue to die away as our virtual lives become the safer, more comfortable, and more intimate places to be. 
This is, a, this is a little bit of an interesting thing because those of you, again, that grew up with these in your hand for many, many years, um, you're like, yeah, no big deal. Uh, most of my interaction with people is already electronic. Those of us who didn't grow up with these in our hand are kind of going, yeah, but you're going to miss out on all of this, right? And you ever have parents to say, can you just put that down and talk with me, right? Or do you kind of just send the text messages to your mom and dad who are in the next room, but you don't feel like getting up and talk to them? Right? Um, my daughter, who's going to be a freshman this year in high school, um, she was at the school where, my mom, where her mom, my wife, taught. Um, so we kind of said, you don't need a cell phone in middle school because mom's just down the hall, or you're in the classroom with her. You're going home and, and uh, to school with her, so there's no need for you to have a cell phone. So this summer, she got a cell phone. So we got a cell phone for my oldest daughter this summer, and it's kind of been like, at first, we're like, I don't know about this, right? But now it's kind of like, oh, I'm just texting her every day. It's kind of fun. And so that's kind of a cool aspect. But at the same time, kind of saying, all right, she's now experiencing this virtual world that wasn't open to her before. Kind of like when you got your first phone, you're like, ah, there's so many things. Which apps do I download first? Which friends do I add to my, you know, and you're doing all that, right? And, and so Tom says, the physical places of meeting and congregating are going to go away. That's something to think about as we talk through some stuff today and how that plays out. An interesting thing, too, is to think about this. Sometimes the things that we've created, um, we thought we created them for one thing, one purpose, and in a sense, we now learn later, hey, there's some other ideas. So like MP3s, um, I remember when MP3s came out because it's like, oh my gosh, you can store so many more MP3s in a, on a hard drive um, than you can wave files or just having your collection of CDs in a binder because that's what you did. Um, go back to before that, I had cassette tapes. So now MP3s are cool, but the real, the real thing with MP3s and why MP3s are cool is now you can just stream it. You don't have to download it. You don't have to worry about buying it. You got a, a service where you can just play whatever you want, especially with Prime or whatever service you have for listening to music. Same thing with cell phones. We thought it was cool because then you can make a phone call from anywhere. But really, that's not what we use our cell phones for. We use our cell phones to access the rest of the world, right? Um, internet and all that stuff, too. Okay. So... Questions, comments, concerns, anything at this point? We understand digital. All right. So let's look at defining sexuality, because that's the other part of our topic, the big part of our topic today. Um, here's, here's kind of how I look at sexuality. And uh, I think sometimes eh, we might be on different pages. Uh, that's the other thing that we can do in this room. We can always agree to disagree. You don't have to believe the same thing I believe just because I'm talking to you and because somebody trusted me to talk to you today. All right. You can always disagree with me on stuff. Um, I'm not a know-it-all. I just have some information that I think I've learned over the years and want to share with you. So here's how I define sexuality. I think it's all that makes us male or female. I think that's part of God's creation for us. Um, in the beginning, when he created all the different things of the, the world, you know, here's the, here's the oceans, here's the mountains, here's the sky, and he said, it is good. And then he created male and female, and he said, it is very good, very good. And uh, so as he did that, Part of what he said was very good was how he created us male and female. And over centuries of time, we, we kind of have that uh, a little bit of a distortion of understanding what that means today. And so I challenge us to think that God's wisdom for us, even though he gave it to us hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, some of it, um, is, his wisdom for us is still for us today, whether we see it fitting into our, 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 our framework or not. It's all that makes us male and female. It's the way people feel about themselves. 
Sexuality is the way you feel about yourself. Sexuality is how people feel about others. Kind of that snap judgment that you might make when you look at somebody, whether it's an appropriate thing or not, whether it's a kind thing or not. It's how uh, we have an attitude about ourselves or about other people. Sexuality is part of that for us. Sexuality is the way we act and walk and talk. It's the friends that we have. It's the way we feel about the way we look. It's who we are as a person. Pretty open definition of sexuality. Um, and I would, I would challenge us to think that um, God created us human beings. He created us male and female. He created us. Um, and as part of his creation, we are sexual beings. You can't separate that. All right. It would be like saying, like, no, I'm not really a digesting being. No, I am. I just ate lunch. My body's working hard to digest food. I'm always a digesting being as I'm eating food. Right? I'm a sexual being. You can't separate the sexuality from the humanness of who God created us to be. And so it's all of these things that kind of define who we are. Um, you and I are different in all these ways, right? And you're different than the people around you in all these ways. And that's part of God's gift for us in who we are. All right? All right, so now that we've defined sexuality, we've defined digital AIDS, let's, let's talk a little bit more about how this plays in. So sexual beings, um, God, so going back to the, the basic definition and looking at what I would say is God's wisdom for us, um, all that makes us male and female. So in, in a perfect world, which we do not live in anymore, right? In the perfect world, which God created for us um, thousands of years ago, he created us male and female. And there was that um, that was specific. There was, there, was, there was that creation for us. And so to be sexual doesn't mean that we are acting on that in a way. Sexuality doesn't just mean that we're involved physically with somebody. Sexuality is just, it's, it goes from everything, the, the basics of who we are from, from DNA to who we are um, physical and how God gave us the parts that we have um, to our even whether perfect or imperfect thoughts of who we are going through that. And so um, in our day, which isn't a, in a perfect world anymore, um, all of us have flaws. All of us have been changed in some way since God created us because of sin. Um, part of our sexuality does say, um, we, we see and we hear the conversation about that where, where somebody's like, I was born with these parts, but I'm struggling in my mind and who I am, right? That's still part of our sexuality, right? Um, but sometimes I think we think some sexuality is, oh, that just means when I'm involved physically with somebody. And I want to get our, get our thoughts going, no, that's more than who we are. Um, I'm a human being, so therefore I, I have this, whether it's thoughts about it or, or you don't. It's part of how God created us. Does that kind of get a little bit? Yeah. All right. All right. So, so here's a couple other thoughts from some smarter people than me. Um, this one doesn't come from a, a Christian source, obviously. Uh, Wired Magazine, in talking about this topic, um, is kind of an interesting thought. And so I don't need to read all of this for you. You can see some of it. If you can't, hopefully on your phones you can. Um, but there, there are, and you are aware of this. I'm not telling you this for the first time. 
There might be some adults in the room who are like, I've never thought about that before and I don't know if I want to think about that. But we know that there are online communities for every orientation. We know that, right? And in our world, there is every orientation that you could imagine. And, and so as we think about that, fetishes, sex toys, different things about anatomy, pornography, um, I, the web has flattened the world. I kind of like that thought, but at the same time, that's really scary, right? Because of the web, you have access to everything. And you will always be able to find somebody or something that will support what you believe, whether the person next to you believes that or not. So if I'm, if I'm hanging around with, with, with you in a physical relationship, hanging out, going around town, exploring the National Youth Gathering in this Minnesota city together, we might very much different on, differ on different things in life about sexuality, about what's okay, about movies, about music. We already found that, all right? You guys are big country fans in this room. It's not my favorite thing. But if I need to find somebody who thinks the same way as me, I can find that. And, and without too much work or too much digging, I can find a community that backs up what I believe and I can feel fine about that. And I'm like, you know, I don't care about the people who don't believe what I believe. This is my community now. And we've discovered that community. And so... That's a challenging thing for us to think about because um, when I was growing up, my community was what, who was around me. And who was around me thought very similarly. And if we didn't, we had to work that out. You, you, you don't have to work that out if you don't want to. But what does that mean for that community that we do have right around us? What does that mean for, for me as a parent sending my daughters off into the world going, all right, I want you to be a part of this community because I know that they're going to say the same things and reinforce the same things that I do as a parent, right? Because your parents are worried about that. Your parents, whether they share this with you or not, they want you to, to understand how they believe and see the world and want you to do that very similarly to you, to you. Probably there are times when that doesn't happen is when you argue, right? When you want to do something different than what they would want you to do. Anybody have that experience with your mom or dad? <laughs> yeah, okay, I still do. I'm 43. Um, so when, when, we have, when we have those conversations, you know, our parents want us to experience and, and be a part of this community that shares with us what we learn from them, like from them. But because of the digital age, we can find any community that will back up anything that we want to believe and be a part of that outside of our physical communities. That's something that you get to wrestle with in your life differently than what I did, differently than what your parents did. And so... I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that there's opportunities to explore both sides of that. Um, Jonathan Freeland, Friedland writes this. Um, he thought the internet would be something that would just speed up kind of the way we communicate with people. Um, like you send an email to somebody instead of sending snail mail. You can communicate with somebody right away instead of waiting for a response. Um, I grew up in the era where you collected like UPC symbols from box tops of cereals and you sent them away for the prize. Now you get the prize right even in the box, right? Um, you order something from, from uh, you know, call up the TV because, you know, for limited time only you can buy this, and then you'd wait six to eight weeks for it to come. I'm like, if Prime isn't delivering it for free the next day, I get agitated. Um, and so the, the Internet, we thought, was just something that would speed up our communication with people. But in fact, as he says, um, it's become even more altering than that. Um, because, and because of that, he actually points to specifically pornography um, and so he says, the most people accept that the ease and availability of the dizzying range of pornography, easily accessed by the very young, represents more than just a change of platform. Because we have this internet that allows us to communicate even faster, it's not just about communicating faster, we just communicate differently. 
And because we have this resource in front of us, we kind of sit here and go, all right, what's available to us? What's available to you? How do you utilize that in a positive way? How do you avoid getting sucked into maybe some things that God would say, I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's not what I created you for, or this wouldn't be my wisdom for you in this situation. How many of you think you know what God's wisdom is for you? Everybody know? Got ideas? Ever thought about it? Maybe some of you have. Um, I would venture to say that uh, I like talking about it this way. Like, we can look through and say, all right, um, Bible says this, and it does. Or the Bible says that, and it, and it does. But I like looking at it in the aspect of, this is God's wisdom for you. And I say it that way because um, one of the blessings that God has given us is that we can choose to listen to that wisdom for us, but he's also given us the opportunity to not listen to that wisdom for us. God gave you choices. He wanted you to be able to choose. Um, and so uh, it would be real convenient for us as youth leaders to say, no, no, you don't have a choice. This is how you're supposed to live. And, and if you're like me, you'd be like, wait, wait, you want me to do what? Okay, I'm going to go the other way. Anybody in here kind of like rebellious? All right, I'm going to do what you tell me not to do. Um, and so God, God knew us better than we know ourselves. And so he says, here's my wisdom for you. You get to choose how you want to live, but here's how I would suggest it. Here's the best way that in which, here's how I created you to live. And so God's wisdom for us. Um, anybody know some of God's wisdom for us when it comes to sexuality and how we live our life? Anybody ever get some of God's wisdom? Yeah. The conversation of marriage between male and female. Um, we have this both in Old Testament writings and in New Testament writings that marriage was created for male and female. Um, the world's wisdom for us, does that agree? No. That's pretty easy to answer, right? Um, and so now, now we're, sit at, we're, we're sitting at a point where we as Christians say, all right, I'm hearing God's wisdom in his word say, male and female. A man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. You know what that means by a man leaving his father and mother? Anybody know what that means? Anybody thought about that before? That, that means like leaving, living on your own, being responsible, being able to support yourself and then support a family. Um, doesn't mean living in parents' basements, um, mooching off of aunts and uncles. Um, yeah, so that's part of God's wisdom for us in sexuality is leaving your father and mother, being united to your wife, then becoming one flesh. That's sex. That's God's Bible terms for getting it on. Okay, that comes the third thing. You have these other responsibilities first, God says. This is my wisdom for you. Yeah, but the world says, uh, anyone don't care about that? Um, whoever, with whomever, anywhere, right? And so we're stuck in a point where we say, all right, I hear God's wisdom. I hear the world's wisdom. And how do we respond to that? How do we respond? Because it could be, it could be something where you say, um, you step on one side complete and be like, shh. I'm not talking to that person because they don't listen to God's wisdom. Or you could be on this side and say, God's wisdom is so outdated, I'm not even going to spend time talking. Or we could say, look, God has called me to love people no matter whose wisdom they're listening to, and how do we live that out in our lives? Right? Don't commit adultery. All right, so yes, you've been to confirmation, you've learned the sixth commandment, and uh, we've, we've read through that and what that means for us. Um, and so we're not supposed to cheat on the people that we've committed our lives to. But then also, as we unpack all of Luther's explanation in the Sixth Commandment, 
Uh, we even read in Matthew that even if you thought about a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And you're like, oh, crap, right? Um, because we're all found guilty of that at some point or another of where our brains go, even though we might not physically act upon that. Good one. Um, world, world's wisdom, does it agree with that? Who cares? Who cares? You know, the world's wisdom is pretty easy. I mean, it really is. I mean, do what you want to do. Okay, um, so we've got to figure out, all right, God says this, that's God's wisdom for me, here's the world, where do I fit in this, how do I understand where I want to go, what do I want to do? Love God, love others, yeah, yeah, love God, love others, um, not even necessarily anything specific to sexuality, but how we treat other people, regardless of their similarities or differences, yeah, um, God has called us to love others, everybody's different than us, whether or not they're listening to God's wisdom or world's wisdom. The, the idea of um, what is truth for somebody might be different truth for somebody else, but yet how do our truths agree with each other and how do we listen to what God's truth or God's wisdom, using that phrase again, um, for us and how that plays out? Um, because we do see that in the world, right? We're like, well, it's, this is my truth, this is what I believe, so this is now my reality based upon what I think. And, um, and yet our realities can be defined or probably should be defined not on our truth, but what is central truth for us. Yeah, cool, love it, good stuff. Anybody else, thoughts on this? God's wisdom for us around sexuality. Okay, I wanna unpack a few things here with you um, from some verses that, I, that I've gone through. Is this what I have? Oh, no, no, let's do before, this before, okay. So you have um, digital footprint. You ever heard that face, right? Digital footprint. Um, and so as we think of a digital footprint, my, my phone's kind of being silly. Um, we think of where you're leaving tracks, where, um, where you're going, uh, what you're doing, what can be found uh, in terms of who you are. And so if we were, to, if we were given permission to see your digital footprint, what would that look like? You don't have to answer that out loud. Um, uh, I just got to go to uh, a guy named Kevin Lee. If you get, if you get a chance to go see him, he, he paints with sand and he paints with paints. Um, has a really cool story. Um, he's on at 2 o'clock um, tomorrow again. Anyway, he, he talks about how his journal was his, his book of pictures. And people wanted to see his pictures. And he's like, no, no, that, that's for me. Right? It's kind of like his own personal journal, but it was his artwork. And uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, our digital footprint is a little bit kind of, it's like our personal journal, right? People can see that. There are people who are smarter than me that can hack that, figure that out, find pictures of you that you've posted, right? Because anytime you've done that electronically, it's out there. It can be found by somebody. <clears throat> and so your digital footprint is kind of like your electronic diary. Would you want that shared with everybody else in here? No, no. Um, <clears throat> there was even some uh, girl in our group is like, no, don't be looking at my Instagram. You can't be looking at my Instagram. That's, that's for me. I'm like, it's public. She's like, no, 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 it's on my phone. I'm like, yeah, it's public, right? And so sometimes we, we kind of get that confused with how that is, but we do, we leave that. But here's the thing, whether you would want any of this to be seen by other people, and it's the certain people you want them to be seen by, it's not everybody, Right? You have people that you want to see that stuff of what you post and, and what you think. 
Um, but I think sometimes we think, as we look at a digital footprint, we're like, yeah, that's who I am. Is your digital footprint a representation of who you are or actually who you are? Is that your identity? Maybe to some extent. I see some people going, yeah, well, no. Um, it's what I want people to see of my identity, right? How many of you have posted um, a very realistic post in the last week? Um, not the post like, hey, look at this amazing thing that I cooked, or look at this project that I did that matches uh, this other picture, or look at how many steps I got yesterday. Um, whatever it is, um, a realistic post of what's going on in your life. Do you ever post it like, yeah, today was just an okay day where I, you know, I went through and didn't do a whole lot, and I didn't get to talk to anybody, I didn't get to do anything fun that I went, nobody posts like that, right? You post stuff that you think is going to be cool. You post stuff that you think is going to get a hit. You post something that is like, I mean, I do too. Uh, posted a picture of our group traveling here. Within an hour, I had 100 hits. I was like, hey, guys, look, we already got 100 people like our picture. And I'm like, well, does it really matter? Well, maybe. We kind of get addicted to that, right? We know that our, we, there's actually something in our bodies that respond to that when somebody likes our photos or likes our posts or thinks we've said something just amazing. And uh, we were like, oh, I'm going to do that again because that was cool. It's affirming. Um, but yet, it's only a representation of who we really are. And so as we think about our sexuality in terms of this, um, that's something I want you to think about and explore too for your life. Because I think that um, when we realize where our identity is, it might really give us a chance to think about um, not just our digital footprint, but our identity being in Christ. If our identity and how we look at who we are and whose we are is in Christ, then that gives us another perspective of, of how to live our life in this world that's changing around us and available to us in any facet to say, all right, who am I? Who am I? Not just who do I want people to see of me, who am I? And I think if we answer that and say, look, I'm a child of God, and because I'm a child of God, I want to listen to his wisdom for me. And if we're going to listen to God's wisdom for us, then we're going to say, all right, his wisdom comes from his word. His wisdom is timeless. Even though it was written before anybody thought of a computer, um, doesn't mean that it's outdated and not necessary for us. And so I'll take you through a few verses here that I want you to see, um, and we'll go pretty fast because I think some of you have probably heard them before. Ephesians 5.3 um, but among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. God's wisdom for us. Make sense? Yeah? But at the same time, we're like, wait a second. All right, sexual immorality. All right, this is New Testament. So I think sometimes I've had conversations with people who are like, yeah, Jeremy, that's Old Testament stuff. A lot of things changed when Jesus came around. Does that still matter? And uh, I would say, look, we're going to go through some New Testament things specifically, so you, that's not even an argument necessarily here. Sexual immorality. Um, there's a book Joshua Harris wrote. Um, I, it was called Not Even a Hint, and I think it got changed to Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is, uh, which is kind of a cool thought to think about. Um, sexuality isn't a problem. Sexuality is a gift that God gave us. But the problem is lust. The problem is how do we look at other people? The problem is... Are we looking at other people as a human being that God created, or are we looking at people as an object? Genesis 2.24, this is Old Testament, obviously. 
Uh, man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and become one flesh. Shared that one already. Hebrews 13, 4. Um, again, brings the adultery aspect up in terms of that and marriage being honored. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Um, don't be deceived. Sexually immoral, idolaters, idolaters, or men who have sex with men. Okay, so we even got a New Testament um, wisdom from God saying, all right, we've got, we're struggling here with the homosexuality conversation. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, hey, look, this is, this is something that fits into God's wisdom. Um, this isn't how God designed us to be. Does that mean that God's love is outside of that? No. All right, so let me ask you this question, because uh, talking about the homosexual thing, are any of you perfect? No, no, okay. So here's, here's the problem that I have sometimes when we talk about this. We, we, separate, um, we separate this as being so much different than other things that we do wrong. See, guys, thanks for coming. Um, we, we separate this as, as being bigger there, than something else. I had a, there's a pastor friend of mine who, who does a great job talking about this, and he says, he's like, look, I'm not bringing up heterosexual sins or things that you do in your bedroom as a heterosexual person to be talked about in our community. Why would I bring up a homosexual thing to be talked about in our community? God's wisdom is, is plain and simple, but that doesn't mean that I treat somebody different or love them any different because of something that they're struggling with and making that more public than somebody else's sin that's not as public, right? He's not, we don't, as a Christian, we don't necessarily, right, we know sin's a sin, um, but, but I think sometimes we struggle with saying, all right, this one's worse than another, and that, that's, that's a struggle, right? Because it's not true. Um, flee from sexual immorality, um, sins against own body. I love the idea of sin against your own body because we also learn that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're, our body's a living temple for the Holy Spirit. And so when we mess up this gift of who we are, our body, who we are, um, we struggle with, um, man, that's, that's, that's the temple for the Holy Spirit. Um, so we keep good care of ourselves, not just from a sexual standpoint. So we can talk about gluttony in this frame at the same time. All right, how do we, I mean, I joke around that uh, uh, eating is one of my spiritual gifts. I love food. Yep, yep. yep. So, um, you know, we were on vacation a few weeks ago, and uh, one of my daughter's friends was, was uh, sitting at the table with us, and we only had like 10, 15 minutes to eat this, and we were headed to another thing. It was a rush. And this burrito came out. It was the size of a small cat. It was awesome. And I look at and, and she looks at me, because she hasn't been with me at, at meals before with a burrito this size, and she's like, that thing's huge. And she goes to eat her meal, and I'm like, I'm like going to town on this burrito, because I love Mexican food. And like 10 minutes later, she turns around like, where did that go? And I'm like, I told you, it's my spiritual gift. Right? But at the same time, it's like, I need to take care of myself on a spiritual level, a physical level. Um, gluttony is part of that. Sexuality is part of that. We treat our bodies as, uh, in a way that God has given us. So we need to think about how we do that. First uh, John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We'll forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, something similar to this in your worship services almost every week. Right? If you want to go back to, to some specific liturgy, if you're a very liturgical worshiping church, you definitely hear that. Even if you don't, you probably hear this in some form or another to, to know and understand that God's love is there for us and forgives us. All of this conversation, you can't leave this out. Because if we do, then we risk saying, all right, God's wisdom is just a whole bunch of rules. Well, God's wisdom is also the fact that he sent his son to die for us. No matter what we're struggling with, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're kind of saying, all right, how much of God's wisdom do I, am I going to follow in my life in terms of sexuality 
versus the world's wisdom, I need to go back and remember, no matter where I fall and what I do and where I stumble, God's love is there and his forgiveness is there for us. Yeah, God created sexuality for us. This was not an added on thing after Adam and Eve sinned. All of a sudden, hey, you sinned, so now you gotta have sex in order to have kids. That was part of his plan for us. He created the male and female with that. That was part of his perfect gift for us in the garden. And to think about, man, they walked around naked and didn't care, to think about what that perfect sexual encounter would have been between Adam and Eve without any inhibitions or worries. Um, you could only imagine what that, like, all right, what a cool thing. Um, but because of sin, that's all changed. So God did create, he created uh, sexual intercourse for procreation. He also created it for consummation of marriage to say this is part of becoming one flesh. He also created it for pleasure. I mean, he gave us parts of our body are specifically created just for the pleasure feeling. And so as we look at that, there's threefold. The other part of the sexual immorality aspect is, yes, when we use sexual acts, aspects of life or acts outside of that boundary that God has created, sexual intercourse for marriage, then we, then we tread on sexual immorality. So... Let's get real raw here for a second. Um, so if we're involved physically with somebody who we're not married to, sexual intercourse, oral sex. Um, I use the phrase sexual outer course with my youth because I'm like, all right, we'll say sexual intercourse, we know what that is. Everything else, sexual outer course. So if we're having any sort of contact in a sexual manner with anybody, we're going to consider that sexual outer course. There are, as we look at what God says in his, Bible, in his word for us, his wisdom for us, there, there are things where we say, all right, if I'm involved in sexual intercourse, we can see that, okay, that's part of sexual immorality. But what about all this other stuff? All right, if I'm holding hands, is that sexual, am I being sexually immoral? Some would argue, probably not, right? Some might say, oh, I'd be careful, all right? Well, what about if I kiss somebody? Uh, right, and then I know there's Christian authors out there like, no, 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 not until you're married, uh, right? And so we start to argue that what is okay and what isn't okay, um, and, and so from a sexually immoral thing, here's, here's kind of where I'm going to, I would give you my kind of definition of that, um, but others can agree and disagree with me, no problem, right? Again, I'm not the end all on wisdom for you. Um, God's God's job. Um, I kind of look at, at sexual immorality as... Um, being involved with somebody where I'm thinking about doing something or I am doing something, thinking about doing something or doing something that, that puts that person in a state of now either fulfilling something that I want or treating them as an object, a uh, sexual object versus somebody that I'm loving and caring for. And so, and that's all outside of marriage. Now, once you're married, I think that's part of the conversation that you have um, with your marriage, married partner. God says, this is what I created it for. So sexual immorality, obviously, then you have adultery outside of that. But prior to that, when you're involved with somebody, um, you know, what you're doing with them, you've got to be careful both in what you're physically doing and also what you're thinking about doing. Um, and this brings up the whole masturbation question. You're like, whoa, he just went there. Um, I, so, so, like, friends of mine in high school would be like, so, because we would get, we'd get into, like, debates on sexuality in high school. I don't know why. Went to a Lutheran high school, and that's what we did. And so, um, my, my friends would be like, so, Jeremy, what do you think, does the Bible say anything wrong about masturbation? And, I'm, and I said, there's actually some denominations that look at 
um, the story of when, uh, was it Onan and Tamar? Um, one of the rules, Old Testament, as weird as this was, if your brother dies before providing kids for his spouse, you had to then fulfill the duty of providing kids on your brother's behalf. Everybody get that? Okay, everybody understand how awkward and weird that would be? Okay, um, so uh, the guy goes in to fulfill his duty as a brother because his brother's dead, and before uh, he ejaculates, he pulls out, and the Bible says, spills his semen on the ground, and he was struck dead. And so there was, there was one, um, I, was, I can't remember what denomination it was, but they said, masturbation is wrong if you spill your semen on the ground because this. I'm like, that is a completely different story. Wrong in so many ways, but completely different story. So as we discover that we're like, it's not the act probably, but I'm pretty sure that somebody involved in that is not thinking about a Big Mac at McDonald's. And so therefore, where are the sin comes in is what are, what's going through our brain, right? And so are we looking at stuff? Are we watching things? Are we thinking through things that turn people into objects? And when we do that, we run into that sin, sexual immorality. And so as we think about that, uh, a couple thoughts for you. Um, I, I have read scientific research done by Christians and non-Christians alike that give you both sides of that. Yes, you might, be, you, might, you might have been born with a predisposition for this or that. And I've read same Christians, non-Christians saying, no, it's not necessarily a genetical thing. It, it's completely your environment. You're going to find as much research on what you, where, where you want to find the research, you can find the research. So as, as a, a, somebody who wants to find wisdom in what God says, I'll go back to this because I don't know the answer to that. I, I cannot tell you no, you, you, weren't, you weren't created to, with that as a predisposition, or you were. I, I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is this. Um, God made each one of us. He created each one of us. He loves each one of us. Um, just because there is something different than how we were, how we were born, um, than how he created Adam and Eve, doesn't mean he loves us less. But it also doesn't mean that we were part of that original perfect creation of who Adam and Eve were. Um, I'm not a perfect person. I know there's lots of physical flaws with me, right? I know there's, there's things that I, I wish uh, were different about who I was. When I was going through high school, I had the worst acne. Was that something that God gave me because I was supposed to have acne? Is that something that happened because sin is in the world and I'm not perfect? Is that because I ate things because I like to eat and it affected? Maybe all the above, I don't know, right? But as I look at that, it's like, is that, is that the perfect person that God wanted me to be? Or is that because sin in the world, I, I don't have this stuff. Um, as I look at somebody who, um, you know, there's, there's this really cool girl who helps out uh, with us every year in VBS. And uh, she attended VBS. And she, she, doesn't, she doesn't have her full left arm. And for her to say, all right, am I perfect or am I not perfect? Uh, is this the God, how God created me? Is this how he wanted to create me? Is this because of what? Right? And you go back to even uh, the, the New Testament where um, the man was born blind. Well, did he sin or did his parents sin? And we're like, um, there's, this is just not the perfect world anymore that God created. Okay, so we look at that first and say, we don't know. Um, and then from that aspect, um, we can we kind of look at it and say, regardless of how we feel God has created us, he still gives us his wisdom. So we still have to look at that picture and say, all right, Depending on who I am and how I am and what I think and what I feel, do I want to live within God's wisdom on this or do I 
say, no, I'm living in the world's wisdom on this, and how do I tiptoe between the two? And so I have, I have some friends that struggle with this, saying, I feel like I was born with this predisposition of homosexuality, but I also believe that God's wisdom is for me to know that that's not how his perfect world would go. And so I have to decide, am I going to live out the life that I think that I might be genetically disposed for, or do I live out the life in which I feel that God is saying this is how I'm supposed to live? And they wrestle with that. I don't know all the answers, but I know that's something that we've got to figure out how to do that. Yeah, um, I, I look at it this way, and this is, this is a really, um, it's, it's a bad analogy, but it's an analogy nonetheless for me, because I, I don't struggle with that, so I don't know. But um, I know some people would say, well, if, if, they're cre- if somebody feels like they're created with predisposition for something, then just let them live the way they want to live. And it would say, well, they get to make that choice. God let them make that choice. He still gives us his wisdom. We don't throw it out the window just because they feel that way. And you can say, well, somebody says they might be predisposed for being an alcoholic. Well, sure, go for it. You're predisposed to be an alcoholic. We don't care. Make the choice and have some fun with that. We don't do that, but at the same time, we do that in other areas of our life. So that's something, too, that we kind of figure out, how do we do do that? How do we love people through that? How do we care for people? I'm asking more questions than I'm answering, but that's kind of the problem. That's kind of, or the, the situation that we have with that. We do, for some reason, our culture says, no, this is something you figure out in your teen years. You don't, you, I still try to figure out who I am sometimes. And I'm way past that. And so, yeah, we, and that's why I go back to the thing. Our, if we start with our identity in Christ, let's start with there. Not where our attraction is or something. Great thoughts. All right, I'm going to leave you with a couple of challenges here um, to think about. Um, all right, so as we just kind of a wrap-up of some God's wisdom from these verses, um, we honor God with our body. We believe from God's wisdom that's sex between husband and wife. Homosexuality, according to God's wisdom, is not part of his plan. How do we love people? How do we help people? How do we walk through life with people who, who are looking at that as, as an option for them? And then even looking at somebody less because of sin. So we say, what does this mean for us? I believe that as a Christian, God's wisdom for us is timeless. Um, just because it was given at a, at a time that was long ago, before anything digital was even thought of, doesn't mean that it's out of date. Um, and so that's something for us to, to kind of challenge ourselves and say, all right, maybe this is something I need to think through. Um, what we can see can and will affect our expectations. Um, you have at your disposal the world um, through your phone, through whatever device you have. And so be mindful about what is accessible and what you look at. Because I guarantee you, and this is not something that I've just come up with, but what you see can and will affect your expectations. And so if, if you're looking at um, completely airbrushed people um, in forms of, of uh, what you think is attractive and that is what your expectation is, um, the opportunity and the odds of you finding that person and them living up to every other standard that you might have for life is going to be something you can't have. And not just the way we look, but even looking at pornography and how that plays out. Um, you know, uh, I, I remember pornography wasn't something that was a part of my life growing up, thankfully. Um, but there were definitely movies that I saw. Um, and I remember watching Top Gun, which was like the first movie I saw that had sort of a sex scene in it, which is like so basic compared to like what you guys can see anywhere. And, and you kind of get this idea of what sex is supposed to be like and how it's supposed to work. 
And then uh, you realize when you get older and you get married, you're like, okay, it doesn't work like the movies. And so even my little understanding of what I thought it was supposed to be like was something that I came into my marriage with an expectation, and it didn't go that way. And now all of a sudden I'm like, all right, I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing, and how does this work? And so just kind of an interesting thing to play out. That would be something I could totally explore with you another day. Um, the world will not judge what we do or, or not hold us accountable. Your virtual communities that you are now finding yourselves in more and more doesn't really care what you do. In fact, you can find stuff that will support you in what you want to do. So be careful with who you surround yourself with. And I would encourage you that the physical communities that you have in your groups or your churches is something that will help you as you go along this journey of growing up. Um, because those virtual communities aren't going to be there to hold you accountable or help you. Everything is accessible and therefore can be a temptation. You know that. And then again, your physical community will be challenged by the virtual community. And so um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have virtual communities. I, I have virtual communities in different games that I play, in different um, communities of, of conversations and people that I talk with. Um, there's, there's a great virtual community of DCEs across the country that I'm friends with I've never met physically, but we help and support each other in ministry, which is awesome. So virtual communities can be great, but don't get rid of all of your physical communities for just virtual ones, because I think your communities that you are physically involved with will be ones that help and support you, provide a shoulder for you to lean on, and uh, in the midst of your trying to discern God's wisdom for you and what the world's wisdom is for you in terms of sexuality especially, will be one that can help support you in that.